2: The WBMA Bluegrass Festival is underway, the sights and sounds in downtown Raleigh and why this year's event is
0: bittersweet. The state's getting closer to completing the 540 loop around Raleigh. We're taking you on
3: the road for a tour. Our dreary days finally have an expiration date. Where we can expect
4: temperatures to rebound into the 80s. North Carolina just signed a construction contract to start that next phase to complete the 540 loop around Raleigh. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Dan Haggerty.
1: And I'm Ashley Rope. The first phase is 18 miles from Apex to Garner. The second goes another 10 miles to Nightdale. The massive road construction project will give communities across southern Wake County access to an interstate for the first time.
4: Uh, WRL's Matt Tallhelm takes us on a tour to see the progress.
0: This is the eastern end of the first phase of the complete 540 project. This is where the expressway will connect to I-40 and 70. You can see this large crane lifting one of the girders in place for the bridge that will carry one side of the expressway here over this interchange. This is also where the second phase of the project begins. Pavement is going down. Noise walls and bridges are going up. Construction is rolling along to finish this 18-mile extension of the Triangle Expressway. Overnight, it's almost like, wow, we've taken a a leap toward getting this thing done. Dennis Jernigan is chief deputy engineer for the NC Turnpike Authority. He guided us on a driving tour through the construction, which will create a six-lane toll road across southern Wake County. It's starting to look like a roadway. You see grass in the median, you see pavement down, you see our noise walls with brick on them. And you can, you can actually almost drive in, in a lot of places between the intersecting roadways. So we are, we are close enough. We can feel it, and we're excited. Some sections are still bare dirt. Others are as much as 50 percent paved, like here near Apex. All of the roads and bridges that cross the Future Expressway are open, except a new diverging diamond on Holly Springs Road. We've got a lot of pavement to go down. We really need to get that down before the winter sets in. A large crane is lifting beams into place for one of the 13 bridges that will make up a massive new interchange at I-40 and 70 near Garner. This is going to have a beneficial impact not only on Raleigh, but for surrounding communities, for motorists traveling through the state. Four years of construction is now counting down to the final months, moving 18 miles closer to completing 540. It's been noisy at times. It's been dusty at times. We've seen a lot of patience. We have met a lot of our neighbors, and, uh, and so the first thing we want to do is thank them for being patient. We're almost there. The state expects to open this first phase to traffic late spring next year. Matt Tallhelm, WRAL News, Wake County.
4: And what a journey it has been here. Construction on that final phase should start late next year. The entire loop is expected to be done by 2028. The $2.5 billion price tag makes it the most expensive road project in the state's history
0: i to bring our viewers into the WRL Live Center. Good evening. I'm Chris Loving with a breaking update within the last hour. Investigators say this is the man they have arrested in a deadly shooting from last Sunday in Littleton. This is that one that happened during a DJ night at a Mexican restaurant. This right here is Levante Taylor. He was taken into custody today, and Littleton police say that the U.S. Marshal Service was uh, critical in helping them in this investigation. Let me tell you a little bit about where he was. So this is Littleton right here. He was found in La Crosse, Virginia, about 40-ish minutes away, about 30 miles. Investigators say that he was taken without incident, and Creshawn Rogers is the man who died last Sunday. He was shot to death. A 26-year-old woman was shot in the leg and expected to live. We are still trying to get more information from investigators in terms of what led up to the shooting, but
4: again, this is the man that's been arrested. Thank you, Chris. A Johnston County deputy was fired after the sheriff says he shot at an Unarmed suspect who was running away. Deputy Christopher Adcock was pursuing a juvenile car theft suspect on Monday. He shot five times at that suspect, never hitting them. Still, he broke policy. The DA has asked the SBI to consider whether Adcock should face criminal charges.
1: A Harnack County inmate who died in his cell was beaten to death, according to the medical examiner's report. We've told you about 64-year-old William Searles before. He was found dead on December 19th in the cell he was sharing with another inmate. The ME report says Searles had a significant head injury. When asked if anyone has been charged in Searles' death, the sheriff's office directed us to the SBI. We're waiting for a response there. Searles was serving a 30-day sentence for violating probation related to a DWI charge. He was 10 days away from finishing that sentence. Flags across our state will fly at half-staff in honor of Senator Dianne Feinstein. She died today at 90 years old. Feinstein served California on Capitol Hill for 30 years. Governor Roy Cooper has ordered flags at state facilities to fly at half staff until Feinstein's internment. The clock is ticking in Washington, D.C. You can see this here. If Congress doesn't reach a deal before midnight Sunday, the federal government will shut down. Lawmakers could pass a stopgap bill to temporarily fund everything under the current budget structure. So far, though, the House has failed to pass one. It's due in part to 21 House Republicans refusing to vote with their party. One of them is from our state, Republican Dan Bishop. He has been retweeting fellow members of his caucus. One includes the hashtag, hold the line. The tweets say things like, the era of business as usual in Washington is over, and I'm going to vote for the people. They need to balance their budget, and so too should Congress. Republicans did draw bills to fund military pay if the government does shut down. U.S. Senator Republican Tom Tillis wrote in a statement, in the event of a government shutdown, the brave men and women who serve our country should not be forced to go without a paycheck should be noted though those bills have not passed drawing a hard line on any ideas at this point could have major consequences we asked democratic representative deborah ross what a government shutdown would mean for our area head start will not have the funding that it needs and we're in the middle of a child care crisis also WIC, which is um money that goes for women and infants It makes sure that they have good, healthy nutrition, the Small Business Administration. And our area is booming with new small businesses that are looking for small business assistance and loans, and that would have an impact. We reached out to Representative Dan Bishop, but we did not get a response. We'll let you know what happens on Capitol Hill. The IBMA Bluegrass Live Festival is back
4: outside in downtown Raleigh for the first time in years. Music will be blaring from Red Hat Amphitheater all weekend long starting tonight. WRAL's Carly Haines is live. She's been hanging out there. The tough job of hanging out there all day. Uh, the performances have already begun. Carly, how's it going? <laughs>
2: Oh, it's brutal, like you said, Dan. No, it's amazing. I mean, music is filling the streets of downtown Raleigh. Uh, I mean, so much fun. All up and down Fayetteville Street. A lot of energy and a lot of music lovers. We saw quite a few people square dancing, too. Dozens of musicians will be playing here, and more than 200,000 people are expected to come out over the next two days. And this two-day street fest falls into a larger week of bluegrass conferences and workshops. We've been chatting with a few people here all throughout the afternoon. Some have been coming in here from the festival's inception, even when it wasn't in Raleigh, because before here it was in Kentucky and Tennessee. But for other people who came in here, this is their very first time and they're coming in far and wide. We were even talking to one family who came in as far as Seattle. There are people walking around with instruments mm-hmm. and they're heading somewhere to play. And you never at a festival see people lug in their you know, their big old bass around or their guitars on their back. So it just feels very, like everyone's into the music. Well, for a lot of people who came out here today they were motivated because it was just announced that this would be the festival's second to last time that it would be in Raleigh. So if you're sitting at home, it's still not too late, you can still come out tomorrow, but definitely a bittersweet day for a lot of people here.
4: Uh, it is, but look, we still have some, there's fun yet to be had. Carly, thank you so much. A lot of fiddle action going on there in the there background. Sure there sure is. Yeah, you get, you
2: get the fiddle
1: got at Got to bluegrass. be downtown when I was uh, out there this morning and there were a lot of people I know, filling the streets. And the
4: weather should be great too. Awesome. We'll talk to Mike about that in just a minute. Uh, Thank you to Carly.
1: So just ahead, I get to pretend to be a stunt woman of sorts. You're so (laughs) brave. How repelling. Seriously, look Uh, at this. It was a good time. I'm going to tell you all about it. How repelling off the Wells Fargo Tower is raising money and awareness for Special Olympics North Carolina.
4: Well done. Uh, Plus, I told you we'd get into this subject here this week, and we're going to go in-depth on ideas to improve safety in downtown Raleigh. Mike? Dan,
3: those clouds have been stubborn today, but we made it to the end of our Friday afternoon, or at least the day, and Southern Pines cleared out, so did Sanford and Durham. But you folks in Clinton, Goldsboro, Rocky Mount, you're still seeing the gray. What to expect over the weekend? I have that forecast coming up.
4: Safety is our top priority. You probably have heard this line many times before from schools and businesses and government. And saying it is, well, it's easy. And it's kind of an obvious thing to say. But following through with that promise, well, that's the difficult part. If you've been paying attention over the last month, parts of downtown Raleigh may have a bit of a safety problem
1: security video in the forest park neighborhood caught at least eight gunshots early yesterday morning
4: a raleigh restaurant manager has died now six days after police say he was attacked in the city's glenwood south nightlife district
1: i'm brett Neeson, the wrl breaking news tracker in downtown raleigh where police are looking for who stabbed a man near the go raleigh bus station on blunt street three people face
0: charges after a man who was shot there in the middle of glenwood south last night officers responded to the intersection of glenwood avenue and tucker streets shortly before 2 a.m. on Sunday
4: night after night we are doing those stories that that all just happened within the last month and this graph behind me it shows crime in problem areas of downtown raleigh you can see the big spike there this year now residents and business owners they tell us this graph and what they're experiencing has them worried
1: my staff has been threatened with bricks and they have had their lives threatened on a regular basis we have 450
3: people that work with us They're all scared. They've all held people that have been
4: assaulted. Raleigh has a crisis.
3: They're afraid to come.
4: Does that resonate with anybody here? Uh, You hear the desperation there. Now, this week, WRL told you about several suggestions the city came up with to improve safety downtown. And tonight, we're going to take a closer look at a handful of them. Hotspot policing, street lighting, private security, and security cameras. Could these actually work? Let's go in depth. And we'll start here. Hot spot policing. This is when departments focus on a few specific high crime areas and then increase patrols. Raleigh has already identified a couple of those hot spots Glenwood South and the Transit Mall. These places need attention, and hot spot policing can help with that, but it can also be well spotty. Let me explain. Denver started a hot spot program in 2021. Police identified five areas where a quarter of the city's crime was taking place. Officers increased patrols there by car and by foot. One year later, three of those areas saw violent crime go down and the other two saw it go up. Now, you might be thinking also that hot spot policing Sounds kind of like a rebrand of stop and frisk, and that's understandable. There is uh, indeed a right and a wrong way to do this. A 2015 report on 21st century policing reads The public confers legitimacy only on those whom they believe are acting in procedurally just ways. Law enforcement cannot build community trust if it is seen as an occupying force coming in from outside to impose control on the community. A 2022 study tried to sort out this procedural approach. So it created two groups of officers in Tucson, Houston and Cambridge and each group was assigned different high crime areas. But one group received this procedural justice training and the other did not. These here are a few slides from that training material. It teaches officers to spend more time with people, exercising patience when they stop someone and giving citizens a voice in those situations. After nine months, both groups of officers reported less crime in their hotspots, but the officers with the new training reported 14% fewer incidents and made 60% fewer arrests. So hotspot policing can work, but it's all about the approach another idea brought up this week was improving the street lighting the theory goes if you can easily spot the criminal the crime might not happen A a 2008 analysis of thirteen different studies found improved street lighting significantly reduces crime one study reads improvements to lighting not only act as a situational deterrent to crime but can also improve local community cohesion and pride but keep in mind they also found that lighting often came alongside Overall neighborhood upgrade. So it's kind of hard to know if the lights alone reduced crime. But overall, it didn't hurt. Up next, private security. Raleigh Mayor Mary Ann Baldwin said earlier this month the city will hire private officers to patrol areas like the Transit Mall and Moore Square. Now, we could talk about this one for a while. You know, should we fund these private officers or the public ones that we already have? Where does the money come from? Should those officers be armed? What authority do they really have? We can go in depth on all of this another time, and we will. But for tonight, let's just look at how this has played out in the past in other areas. People in Austin, Portland, and Nashville, for instance, have reported a bit of confusion over private officers in their cities, questioning their authority, their training, and their allegiance to the public. A 2020 report from the International Review of Law and Economics uh, that looked at programs in the US and UK found that while the initial effect of the additional security showed a drop in crime, it quickly evaporated, calling into question the value of security forces that do not have the ability to apprehend criminals directly. It's a bit of a mixed bag though. Researchers at UPenn also studied this. They added security officers on their campus and they found the extra police provided by the university generated approximately 45 to 60 percent fewer crimes in adjacent city blocks. Lastly, let's look at security cameras, the safety measure that's also looking at you. A 2019 analysis of decades of studies found cameras were linked to a 13 percent drop in crime in targeted areas they were especially useful in parking garages a 2016 University of Tennessee study got similar results but they found that the cameras did not reduce violent crime the study reads quote there was a clear message that CCTV is most effective when combined with other methods and that is a very important thing an important sentiment to this entire discussion a single method isn't a silver bullet to crime here's Raleigh's police chief There's not just a one fix to this. We just can't keep throwing officers necessarily. I think we have to use all the tools and all the resources that we have to combat what we're seeing. And they do have some other ideas that were brought up this week, including improved social services, uh, improved housing, resources for people experiencing homelessness. All of the city uh, city is going to hold a lot more discussions and consider more ideas because solving this problem will not happen overnight. We also want to have a discussion here, too. You know that. Send me an email at dan at wrl.com. We read all of your feedback. Let me know what you think about this one or any other issue that is important to you, and we will go in depth.
1: So fascinating. We're going to watch to see how this is all executed. Stuff. Cool. Exactly. All right. Hey, uh, to matters affecting your wallet, Piedmont Natural Gas believes its customers will see lower monthly bills this winter. The utility serves much of the areas south and east of the triangle. It estimates that the typical residential customer will pay $13 less per month than they did last year. The company says it paid lower prices for natural gas than last summer and will pass those savings along to customers. But before we get to that winter weather, we still have some beautiful fall nights ahead of us. Mike.
3: We've got a great stretch coming up, Ashley. And tonight for the Bluegrass Festival in downtown, you're looking at Fayetteville Street, the Capitol Stage. Great weather for this. We had a lot of cloud cover throughout the day, but now it's breaking up here in Raleigh. Partly cloudy right now at RDU. 70 is the current temperature. 9 o'clock partly cloudy. 68 by 11 o'clock partly cloudy. 64. And the thinking is the clouds will build back overnight. Maybe some fog as well. Don't be surprised if you see clouds when you start the day tomorrow. 68 right now in South Hill. Unfortunately, our eastern counties from Clinton through Goldsboro to Rocky Mount, Wilson up toward Halifax County and Edgecombe County didn't see the sunshine today, but you should see that tomorrow afternoon, even more so by Sunday and also by Monday. All about high pressure for the next several days. We see at least seven days in a row where it's going to be comfortable at night, a little warm in the afternoon, but not hot and dry. We could use some rain, not the kind of rain that New York has seen today with JFK seeing over eight inches inches of rain. They've seen like two to three months of worth of rain in just 24 hours and the rain still coming down across New England due to tropical moisture in that area and a system that just isn't budging right now. Now for us, it's a brighter weekend, 77 tomorrow. There will be a fair amount of cloud cover, I believe. We'll see 79 on Sunday with mostly sunny skies and by Monday we expect our high about 82 with full sunshine. Those morning lows are comfortable. Our normal lows about 59, the normal high around 78 by Sunday. So we're pretty much where we should be for this time of year. In fact, on Sunday, well, we start October. Can you believe it? September seemed to just blow by. Fifty-seven is the normal low on October 1st, Sunday. The normal high is 78. And by the time we get to the end of the month, 44 is the normal low, 68 is the normal high, and we average about three and a quarter inches of rain at RDU. So hopefully we'll get some of that rain soon. So some clouds overnight, perhaps fog developing in spots by daybreak. 62 in Fayetteville, 60 at Rocky Mount, 57 in Roxboro. Pleasant weather for dog walking tomorrow. Perhaps going to college game day over at Duke to be on TV. Maybe you'll be on television. We'll have to tune in and watch. 60 by 7 a.m. 9 a.m. 65 by 11 a.m. 70. If you're going to be out there, make sure you have a light jacket. It'll be a little cool to start the day. And later on this afternoon, those clouds will hang around temperatures in the mid to upper 70s. If we have that sufficient sunshine, we had 77 for the official high out at RDU today. We're forecasting 79. So we came very close. Our seven day forecast the next seven days. Check out our morning lows. They're in the upper 50s to low 60s. The warmest day over the next seven looks like it'll be Monday with a high at 82 and then upper 70s to about 80 Tuesday through Friday of next week and unfortunately only about a 20% chance of rain by next Friday. We certainly could use some.
1: Okay, Mike, thank you. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take a quick break and then I'll tell you what it was like to go over the edge. Tomorrow, more than 100 people will test their fear of heights and repel 30 stories down the Wells Fargo Tower in downtown Raleigh. This is an event called Over the Edge. It happens every year. It's all in support of the Special Olympics North Carolina. This morning, I tried it out.
0: Let's do this. Put one foot on the wall. Have a seat and put your other foot on the wall. How's everything
1: feel? Good. Okay, and you guys have been down a couple of times, tested mm-hmm. this out first. Okay, good. We're in good we rig it. we're It's real now. The, uh, there's, there's only one direction we're going here. <laughs> Thank Thank you. Ah, look at you. Thank you for talking me through it, guys.
4: I truly am impressed. You are a brave person. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you. My palms are sweaty looking back at you that, s- but it was a good time. You
4: seem to be breathing a little hard on the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Happy to be back here uh, on Two Feet. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining us here on WRAL.
3: Keep watching WRAL News, over the air channel 34 and Spectrum Channel
4: 1257.
3: Hey, I'm Tim Donnelly from 999 The Fan. And I'm Brian Murphy from WRL News. Sports betting is finally legal in North Carolina. Getting to this point in this state wasn't easy. How it happened is a backstory worth telling. And that's what we're going to do in a new season of our podcast, A Brief History of Triangle Sports. The podcast is out now. Follow A Brief History of Triangle Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or on YouTube.